but what we're going to do is um, from now, Mother's Day till Father's Day at least, and maybe to the end of June, we'll see there's something coming I'm going to announce at the end of our time together that I'm really excited about uh, that's coming. But for sure, from Mother's Day to Father's Day, we're going to take some time and we're going to talk about family. Right. This is you, as you, many of you guys know, family is a big uh, part of Selena and I's heart uh, as pastors, as ministers. It's it's truly one of the things I believe Father has asked us to pick up and to share as much on as, as He has shown us, and we continue to learn. So we're going to take these coming weeks and share on the subject of family. Does that sound good? So that's what we're going to kind of do. It's still right in line with expanding our hearts. Right, expanding the place of our dwelling. Because family and home is what we're expanding. So when we talk about expanding our hearts and expanding our lives, we do have to cover what that looks like inside of family. How do we expand? Um, and, and I don't just mean numbers, because I know some of how many of y'all are you're done having kids? Anybody just done having kids yet? Anybody like everybody said amen? Some people are saying amen to being done having kids. Some people maybe reluctantly are saying they're done having kids and stuff. I know that looks like things for Selena and I. We're, we're not done in our hearts, but it, it's definitely not happening in the natural so far. So now I'm open for miracle late-born children uh, and stuff. I would take, a, I would take a, a, an Abraham and, and Sarah baby, absolutely. I would love that. Um, we'll all get out. And we'll probably touch some of that in there. Uh, I'm going to encourage us and challenge us uh, over time, not just in this series, but over the course, to change our perspective about children, right? And to make sure that we're renewing our mind to the understanding that children are a blessing from the Lord. Amen. Amen. Everybody say you agree with that. Amen. Maybe we can say that the scripture teaches us children are a blessing from the Lord. Amen. I agree with that. Jokingly, I know that was what God had to finally convince me of personally, part of our testimony is I finally had to let God persuade my heart that kids were a blessing so we would start having some. Because we didn't have kids, we didn't have Sophia until we were seven years into our marriage. And our determination, many people, and let me back up, many people say, well, Brad, y'all talk about family because you have a big family. And I said, no, I finally had a big family when I let God persuade my heart about family. Right, because when we started, we looked around and said, we ain't hurting the world anymore. (laughs) So we, we weren't going to have any kids. That was our predetermination. We had kind of bought what I call one of the unspoken myths and lies of church culture, which is you'll better serve the kingdom of God childless than you with with children. And so we rene- renewed our mind. And when I finally let God convince me from Scripture that children are a blessing, we started having children. And here's how it was. And for a while, my children were a blessing. I wasn't so sure about everybody else's. But my kids were a blessing until God jacked me up. I felt like a hockey player. God checked me into the back corners of the boards and said, that's not what I said in the Bible. I didn't say your children are a blessing. I said, children are a blessing. He says, but just like finances, many people don't know how to steward their blessing. Right. But all children are a blessing. They just made people may not understand how to steward that blessing, just like people don't understand how to steward the blessing of their income or their finances or their money or their work. And so just because I don't know how to steward the blessing of my work doesn't mean my work isn't a blessing. Does that make sense? So we have to understand some of that. So we'll talk a little bit about that in the coming weeks. But today I wanted to start with why 
we talk so much about family and lay a bit of another groundwork for family as we expand our heart about family. Because how many of you, you have some family stuff? Anybody have family stuff? No, you know, maybe not in your family, but connected to your family, you have some family stuff. And you know what I mean by stuff, right? You know, I would like to use another word, but I'm, I'm trying to watch... It might your stuff, right? You know, your family stuff, right? That, that goes on. We all have family issues. How many of you have noticed uh, the, it, we used to call it uh, the, the movement of disintegration of the family, but how many of you have noticed that family has disintegrated? That it's now no longer something that is happening. Now, culturally speaking, the concept and idea of family is in a state of disintegration. It is no longer a cohesive thought. Again, we've shared the story about, you know, we've had a number of millennials, if you will, young people sit at our table and I asked them a question about, well, do you think divorce is inevitable? And 100% of them all say yes. That it's just, I just know I'm going to divorce. It's just inevitable. It's just a matter of time. Make sure it's not yeah, we're just going to do the best we can to not let it be a train wreck. But see, in our culture, in people's mind, family is already a disintegrated concept. So we're not trying to talk about how do we stop the disintegration of family. We're now at a place where we have to talk about the rebuilding of family. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just talking about the rebuilding of actual families, people who have experienced divorce or people who have suffered. I'm not necessarily, that might be part of it. I'm talking about the concept of family in our thinking. Yes. It's time we have, we have to rebuild, we have to reconstruct biblically God's thoughts about the idea of family. Does that make sense? Is this okay this morning? I'm just going to pop the clutch and we'll go from there. Is this all right? Take, now this is going to be, be, like all of our conversations, it's going to be better served two-way. All right, so I'm going to keep talking, and you're never interrupting me if you just stick your hand up or just jump in and ask a question or make a clarifying comment or any of that kind of stuff. Does that make sense? And I'm going to let my lovely bride share something here when she feels led uh, to do so. So with that, what as we talk about this, you have to understand from a biblical worldview. Everybody know what a biblical worldview is? Define for me, if you will, what what is a biblical worldview? Let me back up and say this. What is worldview? When you hear the word worldview, what is a worldview? Very good, Emma. Beautiful. That's awesome. It's how you view the world, right? Do you understand that every one of you has a worldview? When we mean worldview, it's how we see and how we interact with the world, that's our worldview. Now, as Christ followers, we are instructed and we should have a biblical worldview. So what's a biblical worldview? In the context of the Bible. Exactly. So the way I view the world should be within the context of Scripture. So as I look at the world... And as I interact with the things of the world, all things of, and I'm just talking about carnal stuff, I'm talking about life, then, then my construct as a Christ follower is one of the Bible. It's like those are the glasses we see things through. 
the lens. This is the lens, this is the filter, this is the construct, this is the context that governs how we view the world. Does that make sense? Any questions on that? So you have to understand then, and, and as Americans, we have a, how do I say this? We have a individualistic worldview, right? So someone tell me normally, what is the smallest unit of society? Huh? The individual, that's right. That's what we normally would say, right? That the smallest member of society is the individual. You have to understand that from a biblical worldview, that is untrue. Now, please look at me. Do we know that God loves everyone? Yes. Right? We, we know that God sees everyone. But in God's construct, what is the smallest unit of a biblical worldview? The family. How do we know that that's true? Huh? Huh? He created family, right? So do you understand from the creation story, right? God starts this thing. So when God begins to create people, what does he start with? Well, he started with Adam, right? He started and he created man. And what did God say about that individual? It's not good that he is by himself. So we see in that one thing, God as a lesson to us all says, okay, yes, I make individuals. Here is an individual, but it's not good that someone lives individually. That someone lives with a mindset of, I am the center of the universe. Does that make sense? He, he began to say, okay, well, no, it's not good. It's the only thing throughout the entire creation story, it was the only thing where God said, this isn't good. It's not good that man be. Now, again, Adam wasn't lonely, right? Adam wasn't sitting over there in some depressed state in the garden. I'm just all, I'm all by myself. That's the song I was thinking about too, right? He wasn't. God says it's not good that he has no one with which to connect with, that he has no one with which to have relationship with, right? So God in that little lesson says the construct of creation is not the individual. The construct of creation is the family, right? So the base unit of God's creation of society is the family that begins with a husband and a wife, mm -hmm. but is not exclusive unto them. Now we're going to unpack this over time, but go with me to the creation story. I know I sent you to Ephesians, but let's just go ahead and go to Genesis. Is this okay? You stand up here as long as you want. If you got anything to say, you jump in. Yeah. But back to the... Now again, another construct that lets us know that the individual is not the base is, is God an individual? No. How do we know that? He is three persons who operate as one unit. Right? So he is one, but he is three. Does this make sense? So that's why, again, it says in Genesis chapter 1, 
uh, verse 26, it says, So therefore, God said... Now, who said? So remember, we talked about this before. Uh, God is the creator. We are the thing that is created. The proverbial good old southern way of saying this, He is the potter. I am the clay. I am the clay, right? <laughs> so the potter gets to do with the clay what the potter wills. Mm-hmm. Right? So the potter decided, God decided, that He would make us in... His image and in His likeness. But I love what it says here. He says, let us, who is the us there? God. God in His three parts. So even in the creation story, He begins not with His individuality. He begins within the construct of God as a family Himself. Mm -hmm. He said, let us, plural, Make man in our plural image and according to our likeness, plural. So you see, even in this beginning decree, God's intent was there would be a plurality of creation. Now here's Brad's, a little bit of Bradology, right? That why then did God start by making man by himself? Have you ever wondered that question besides me? Right? Why did God start with just Adam? And I think because he wanted to teach his son a great life lesson, right? Just like we do as parents, right? Do y'all ever do that like Selena and I do? You set up life lessons. You start teaching a lesson and you kind of set your child up knowing that you're going to let them go through a time and you're going to do this, aha, and bring, bring forth the moment of instruction and teaching and all this kind of thing. God does that with mankind. He makes Adam an individual in a plural creation. Because remember, because Adam is by himself and he sees multiples of... He sees a male lion and he sees a female lion. He sees a male dog and a female dog. He sees a... He starts seeing a plurality and it causes Adam to start looking around. Because he sees a repeated aspect of God. Wait a minute. God created two, two of that and, 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 and two of that. And he made yeah. two of that. And he's looking around going, where's the other me? me? See, he's teaching Adam a lesson of what is going to be most vital in his life. Yeah. Does that make sense? We, we later know about that later. Remember, and I always call it. Uh, you know, then God, the, this lesson is culminating, right? God says it's not good that he's by himself. God comes down, puts Adam to sleep, pulls out of Adam everything that is female. So this tells me something here. It's a little bit of a lesson. Where was Eve when God went to find her? Huh? In man. Because notice when he goes to make Eve, he doesn't return to the dust to make something new. Right? He doesn't create something out of... He goes to where she was, which was in him. So that lets me know that for that, that period of time, Adam had a dual perspective on life. He could see the world as both male and female. Not saying he wasn't a morphodite, not saying he had two sets of parts, right? I'm not saying any of that, right? But that Adam engaged as both male and female for that period of time because then God pulls Eve out of him, mm-hmm. 
creates her, wakes Adam up, presents Eve to Adam, and what was Adam's initial response? He said, well, that's what I'll tell you. He said, whoa, man. And so he said, but when, when he looks, what was Adam's actual response when he sees Eve for the first time? What did he say? You got your Bibles right there again. There is. What does it yes. say? He says, whoa, wait a minute. This is flesh of my flesh. This is bone of my bone. I like to say it like this in the Brad paraphrase. Adam says, that's me. Adam goes to sleep that day with a way to look at the world that is both perspectives. When he wakes up, something's, missing. something's not there anymore until God presents it to him in flesh and bone. And Adam's immediate response is, that's me. Mm -hmm. That's a part of me. That's just a part. That's me. That's flesh of my flesh, bone of my... There I am. But God teaches us in this construct that life will be built on a plurality of relationship, not on an individual level. See, one of the biggest problems in our current culture is we think we're individuals. We live individualistically, right? We live for us, for me, right? Where scripture teaches us, no, 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 in the creation you were made and designed to live with someone else, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And as that one. as one, mm -hmm. like he is one, because mm -hmm. God is not an individual either. Do you see this? Mm -hmm. This is a, again, it's huge, right? Yes. Or like from TV or songs or whatever. I'm like, well, it's okay to just be by myself and I don't need anybody else. But I didn't realize how wrong that was. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's just a worldly worldview. It's just a worldly worldview. Does that make sense? Is everybody doing okay? Again, I'm going to go slow. I'm just going to say, this right here is what Brad and I teach in premarital counseling and have been for the last 15 plus years. And so you guys are getting gold because this is, this is how we establish that foundation for, for family and for marriages when they come to us and say, hey, we want to get married. This is where we start. Right. So, but now, does this awesome. make sense? So, so you have to understand that as we look at this, that we have to change the way we view the world to understand mm -hmm. what we were made for, but not just what we were made for, why we were made for it. Mm -hmm. Now let me just kind of fast forward because again, I'm not picking on our single folk, mm -hmm. right? Because this can also go there too, right? Well, gosh, I'm just useless. I'm like half a person, mm -hmm. you, know? <laughs> you know, and we're not saying that either. Yes, ma'am. If it marries what now? Very good. You can. You can reset. So if, if the person, again, let's say God forbid something happens and one of us passes away, right? Then the other one is free to do that again. Again, according to, can I do a brain bender worldview, right? Can I do this? So 
In the New Testament, in the book of Titus, Paul tells us the line of demarcation. He says, hey, listen, again, so Selena right now is how old, if you don't mind? Forty-four? Forty-four-ish. So let's say we leave here today, uh, something (laughs) happens, I get hit by a truck, I'm no longer here. Right. Right? So the Bible would say, hey, to you widows, you should seek to remarry Mm -hmm. up until the age of... 60 clearly marks in Titus. Yeah. And at 60, you should still bear children. Bear children. Read Titus. It says in Titus. You young widows. And he he says young widows. And so he defines a young widow as 60 or below. Yeah. If you are 60 or below, biblically, you're considered a young widow. You should look and seek to get remarried and continue making families. Yes. Now again, there's a whole there's a brain benders for us, right? And, and I see people kind of doing, but it's it's what Scripture kind of says, right? So there's, there's a lot in here that we don't talk about, yeah, right? Because yeah. we just kind of go along with whatever is the cultural norm, yeah. right? So we we pursue if we find ourselves through death, I would even say in a divorce, those kind of things. The question is is always one of this: Do you want to remarry? Or do you want to be married? Mm-hmm. That should always be, in my opinion, the first and greatest desire. The only reason we would not desire that is for, the Bible again teaches us, for the sake of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Right? See, Scripture teaches us from a, world, a biblical worldview, there are two social statuses in the Bible. There is monogamous Christian marriage. And there is celibate Christianity for the sake of the gospel. Those are the two social statuses. That makes it really easy for us to make decisions. Yes. Because then you eliminate all that. Well, it's my career. Or, well, I don't know if I really want to mess with all that. Well, right? But this, if the word says those two are the things that we can consider. And inside of that, it tells us why to consider it. What the parameters are well that makes that easy well because this is just like some of y'all looking at me kind of funny everybody good or y'all just thinking everybody happy everybody good looking around (laughs) so as we talk about this because we've had this happen before um for example it's monogamous christian marriage and the purpose of monogamous christian marriage is to produce godly offspring that's what it clearly says in the scripture why did god make them one so that we could return unto god godly offspring so even that's in that, we were out of whack. That's why we were out of worldview, Christian worldview, because at the very beginning of our marriage, like Brad said, we looked around at the people that were our age having kids and we lost several friendships over that. We were like, "Ooh, these kids run the household and they're just two. This isn't going very well. What's going to happen in 20 years? What, who are these people going to become? Let's not add to the woes of the world. That's literally what, what we, we said, said to each other. Yeah. Right. Well, here's the other side. We, we were being trained at a place and it was never spoken this way vocally in the sense of as a straight teaching but it was communicated like this there were a number of high profile couples who came out and said well for the sake of the ministry we're not going to have children mm-hmm. and we and we were all applauding wow. oh wow that is so magnanimous that is man what a yeah. and that was celebrated yeah. What, what we didn't realize is it was also not biblical. Yeah. 
<laughs> because yeah. because the Bible says if you get married, yeah. you're to have children. Anytime you don't have children, it's a curse. It's a curse. It's called and barrenness. God is helping to, you know, redeem turn us. That around. Yes. Does this make sense? Now the other side of it is we had a, a young lady in Canada come up and she goes, Brad, I wanna I wanna serve the Lord. I wanna get married, but I wanna have kids. I said, Well, the Bible offers you a solution. Don't get married. And do what Paul did and go whole hog for Jesus and serve the Lord. The outcome and the goal is the same. Both are for the advancement of the gospel. One of them principally focuses on two people getting married and discipling their children and putting the gospel in them. The other one is someone decides for the sake of the kingdom and the gospel, I will not marry, I will not have physical children, but I will give my life like Paul and I will be a spiritual father or a spiritual mother. Mm-hmm. And I'll go whole hog for, the Jesus, for Jesus. Does that make sense? Because back to Paul and Titus, he says, now the older widows, if you're over 60 and you want to give yourself to God, man, get in plugged into the church and go whole hog for Jesus. Yeah. Do y'all see this? I'm going to hit pause right there. Anybody got any questions so far? Yes. So, uh, my, my friend Justin, you met over the house. Yeah. They've been trying to have children for many years. Yes. And so for you, for, I mean, as of the point of the conversation right now, yes, uh, it would be kind of very gloomy to know like we've been trying, we've been trying, trying. And so there's nothing happening. Absolutely. So then so we need to help. Defeated. Like yes. They're not doing what God sounds. Yes. Well, you understand that we live in a modern day. There is more barrenness today than probably has been in many, many generations. Mm-hmm. Now, much of our barrenness is self-imposed. Self-inflicted. It's self-inflicted barrenness in the sense of people choosing, like we did, choosing not to have children. Until later. Right, until whatever. Many times it is, is we live in such a sexually promiscuous lifestyle, culture, that so many of our young, this is what we've seen, okay, y'all play is you know we start our young ladies on birth control to help regulate certain things at age 15 and then we tell them to delay marriage and to delay childbearing right do you understand that the average couple christian couple gets married at age 28 right they will delay five-ish years before they have children that puts them at 30 was that 33 before they consider having children but they've been on chemical controlled birth controls from the age of 14 or 15. So for this long stretch of time, they have messed their bodies up and the rate of barrenness in our young Christian women is extremely high. Right now, praise God though, here's the great thing we tell young people, we can help them, is how many times did God give us miracle children? Yeah. This right so, here is a miracle child. Did y'all, I don't know if y'all know that about my testimony. They told my, my mom had my brother, uh, ten, who's 10 years older than I. My mom had my brother, and the doctors told her, if you have another child, it'll kill you. You cannot have children ever again. So she resigned herself that that's what it was. Well, 10 years later, and here's what I love it. Praise God for a Bible-believing, Jesus-believing Baptist preacher. Because yeah. they were going to Hunter Street Baptist Church when it was on the west side of town, town at the time. And the pastor was over at our house at Thanksgiving in 1972. And he brought his little girl, who was about 18 months old, over. 
and there's my mom cooking Thanksgiving and just kind of, you know, how mom, you moms do pick it. We do it with Lila, right? We yeah. pick it, little cute girls, and oh, she's so cute, and oh, we do all that fun stuff with the little babies and all that. And the pastor said, well, Linda, you need to have another baby. And my mom said, no, I've resigned myself to the will of God. And this pastor said, whoa, 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 slow down. And walked her through, God wants to give you children. So they prayed for my mom, Thanksgiving 1972. September the 11th, 1973. Ta-da! <laughs> Here I am. So I know I am a miracle child. Now here's the other thing that's interesting. Here's the, so can, name me miracle children that you know of in the Bible. Who was a mir- miracle children from Scripture? Isaac, Samuel. Yeah, his name's Isaac. That's right. So Isaac. That's right. Isaac, Samuel. Who else? John the Baptist. Jesus. He's the biggest one. Jesus. Greatest miracle child of them all. Right? Hey, what, what else can you say about these people? Have you noticed any other redeeming quality to miracle babies? They're all redeemers. Even to today. That you look over when God grants miracle children to people and he loves to do it. Yes, he does. Every one of those throughout biblical history and modern church history, every miracle born child, God marks as a redeemer. Mm -hmm. He gives them something to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you look at this kind of stuff, and it's, so what do we do? Brother, we, we, we help encourage and raise people's faith to believe God, to give. We just had, we've been praying for a family. I won't mention their name because they're, well, I, mean, well, I think they put it on Facebook, but it's Jared and Keeley Brown. Keeley's been trying to go through all the different in vitro stuff. All, I mean, have, has had, we've prayed with her. For years. For years. Countless times for her to have a baby. And it's been up and it's been down. And they've done this. And who knows how much money they've spent on all this stuff. And she sent us a text. Hey, guess what happened naturally? <laughs> and she's expecting a baby. Yeah. Right now. And, and we're all celebrating. God give. So does this make sense? So we, we, we encourage. We lift people. We tell people these stories. And tell them, God, if they want a child, God will give you a child. Mm-hmm. Right, God, he has, the, he has this amazing habit throughout Scripture mm-hmm. of taking barren women and giving them children. Mm-hmm. Do, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Now, right. Sometimes there's some natural things to look at, mm-hmm. and that's another conversation for another day, but there are some natural things to look at just because of the, like what Brad was saying, all the lifestyle things and all the things that we all think are normal because they're normal to our era. But if you think back to biblical times, that's not normal, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of uh, natural considerations there to clean your body and detox from things and help sure up and heal some things. And that gives you the, the natural stewardship of your health yeah. to make things more conducive. Yes. But, um, oh, sorry. So, so, say one was, so, so she had a hysterectomy. No, no. If, huh? if somebody wants to give birth but can't, can they still adopt a child? Oh, absolutely. Is that kind of the same thing or does she have to? Oh, no, that's absolutely the same thing. Absolutely. Well, here's the thing. Psalm 68.6. 6. 
It says this, Jehovah, God Almighty, gives the solitary ones to a family. One of the greatest purposes of family, the reason why God made the smallest building block of culture the family, is so he would have a place to put the solitary ones. Y'all see this? I want to unpack some of this in these weeks ahead. That and, and like, I don't want to be beating people up. I don't want things to be downers for folks. I don't want people to be condemned. I just do want to help. Again, we're talking about rebuilding the construct of family because we live in a culture where, even within the church, the construct of family is already disintegrated. Right? It's already disintegrated. So. You see that? So we need to go to Scripture and say, Lord, what did you intend? God intended for there to be, and I'll be go ahead and be bold enough to put this out there, that there would be places, there would be families, there would be homes where there is a man and a woman, right? Not a man and a man, not a woman and a woman. Does that make sense? But there would be a man and there would be a woman and they would begin to bear children. And one of the reasons why God wanted them to bear children, and I think it's in, in if you could say it'd be in threefold. He wants them to bear children naturally. Mm-hmm. He wants them to bear children spiritually. And he wants them, like Emma said, to bear children socially. Mm-hmm. He wants them to have people who come and either through its physical adoption, I mean, we've got the Barrows with us and what you guys have done with, with fostering and with taking Landon into your home, that's being a social parent, if you will. Like in a good, I mean, now you're actually, you are his parents now, but you know what I mean? But it's this, you went and let God bring you someone. That's what God designed family for, that he would have a place to send the solitary socially and the solitary spiritually. So that everyone, everybody say everyone. Everyone. So that everyone can experience the benefit of family, God's smallest unit of creation. Mm -hmm. Do you see this? Yeah. Now why? I'm going to start and unpack two reasons why and then you share what you got. So back to Genesis. So God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. And it goes down and it says in verse 26, and let them have what? Dominion. We all understand that. Let them have authority. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle over all the earth, over all the creeps that creep on the earth, as people have jokingly said. Right? God gives you authority over creeps. Right? And he goes on. He says, so God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So that's why, again, if I can say this out loud and just put it on the recording, and just start the hate mail now. There are only two biblical genders. Yes. How many biblical genders are there? Two. Two. There are male and female throughout all creation. There is not duplicity of genders. And I, again, I said this on the little podcast we made. It, it, it's been one of the greatest things I've used as you talk to people. Again, let's say I go hiking somewhere in the deep, deep woods of northern North America fall into a crevasse, right, in, in an ice thing and die and get all buried up, right? 
like the ice people, right? I forgot my wallet that day. I didn't have my cell phone on me. It was just me. And I get encased and entombed in ice. And 500 years from now, I slide out somewhere <laughs> and they discover me, right? Yeah. What are they going to say about me? That all they find are my remains. They're first going to say, he was careless. But I mean, <laughs> but they're going to say, he, oh, look. Here is a male. Right? If they find just my bones and they look at just my bone structure, they will go, oh, that was a male. Right? So absolute truth will show us what God intended. And God sovereignly chooses what gender we are. That's exactly right. We don't have to have a choice. Yeah. He, he chose us. Yeah, we were yeah. chosen through his process. Does that make sense? So, but notice this in verse 28. And it says, and God blessed them. And everybody said, amen. 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 So we always start with the blessing. Aren't you glad that God always, that we always begin with the reality God has blessed us. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And then what does he do? He repeats what he said in verse 26, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and he repeats himself. When you see God bookend things like this, pay attention. So God starts and says, I'm going to make mankind, male and female. Their purpose is dominion. Do we see that? When all would agree that, that we are to have authority and dominion in the earth. And then in that same passage, God tells us where that dominion will begin and it's inside family. Do you see that? God says you will have dominion. I created you for dominion. You will exercise dominion over the earth. But notice he says, by being fruitful, multiplying and subduing the earth through your family. Do you see that? So the, the principal reason why God created family is he wanted an quote-unquote institution. Mm -hmm. He wanted a building context. block, a context by which authority could be exercised. Could be exercised. Yes. Now we can better understand why the devil wants to breed rebellion in our families. Because that's how we take dominion of the earth. If he can break up and he can seed rebellion inside God's smallest unit, mm -hmm. he can break the ability or hinder at least to some degree the ability for dominion to be exercised. Mm -hmm. That's why you see rebellion is so rampant. Have you, is, this, is this new thought? Is everybody Okay. So it's, it's the reason, see, devil, the devil's tactics have always been the same, but we haven't always, to me, helped people connect the dots to understand why. Why is, again, can I say it like this, and I say this all the time, so, so parents, right, we love all, I love all of my children, right, everybody know I love all of my kids, right, but there's a bit of emphasis that I put on the redhead back there, the pink head, the pink head. I put a little bit more emphasis on Sophia, and I put a little bit more emphasis on Caleb mm -hmm. because they're the firstborns. Mm -hmm. If you'll look through scripture, you'll notice a repeated pattern of the enemy. He goes after the firstborn. Mm -hmm. 
if he can, and it's almost like if he can derail the firstborn, Right, he can do some. So I tell parents all the time, not that you don't, again, I've got, especially we have multiples, right? Not that I don't spend time with the other ones, but I, but I watch my two older, my two firstborn, my firstborn of all, and my firstborn son, I watch my firstborns, right? Does that, because they matter. They're, they're hinge pin and stuff, Yeah. right? Absolutely. Remember Esau and Jacob. Remember the, all the firstborn scenarios all throughout Scripture, how the devil targeted the firstborns. Mm-hmm. Huh? What now? Well, Aldra fits in that because, so I have three firstborns. I have two cycles. So Audra, all of you know, which I love. So she is, we call it, she is of us, but she is unique unto herself. She is the only child I have with her mother. She is an only born to that. Like she. Me. She is just like Selena is with her. So she is a unique born. She's still part, but we mm-hmm. had five together. It's not exclusive to Audra. Mm-hmm. I'm not excluding her from. So I'll watch all three. It's why I have taken this last year that I've had with Audra mm-hmm. when she's worked with me in my business as very valuable and redemptive. redemptive. To redeem time to and redeem opportunity. To redeem time and opportunity mm-hmm. in this kind of stuff. But I do, I steward, but I look at all I've got three. I've got Audra. Mm-hmm. I've got Sophia. I've got Kayla. I've got three firstborns in my herd. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Right? I was only highlighting the two because Selena's here with me and we're talking, not exclusionary. Mm-hmm. No, no, I ask that question because I know that there may be some listening who are also have a, a same or similar. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You have to ident- I encourage parents, identify all your firstborns. Again, this is what I mean by you have the, the firstborns that are the like Audra was the firstborn of her mother and I. Sophia, firstborn of Selena and I, like in the first one to come out. Mm-hmm. Caleb is a firstborn son. Yeah. Every time you have five years between genders. <coughs> so every time there's a five year gap between genders. Genders or kids, just kids. No, between kids. Okay, I'm trying to think of how do we explain. So like. Don't I'm not trying not to overcomplicate it, but but psychologically, like in ourselves, I'm trying to think of, of my own kids because there's not five year gaps. But let's say if I had Caleb, who is 11, mm-hmm. right, and then Courage is eight, eight mm-hmm. right. So how many years is that? My math is three. So there's three. Let's say Caleb was older. Four. Oh, he was older. Let's say Caleb was older and Courage was younger. If there's a greater gap between the same gender, okay. that second, yeah, no matter how many kids are in between, between genders, mm-hmm. you literally, they know now psychologically, you start the firstborn clock again. Mm-hmm. So if Caleb, if there was a, if there was a five year age gap between Caleb and Courage, mm-hmm. I would have two firstborn sons. Mm-hmm. How they respond, how they act, where they fall, mm-hmm. irregardless of the number that mm-hmm courage would actually be there's a gap does that make sense and again i don't want to get lost in all the minutiae all of this and stuff it's a, i love talking about this because we don't ever think about it well and it's the same way i grew up so i'm the only child from my mom and my biological dad mm-hmm. but then when my mom remarried you know they had two girls and so the older of those is also a firstborn and we're eight years apart so it just totally reset that whole thing right um 
there were certain aspects because I came into that family when I was six. So the way I was raised was very much firstborn, firstborn. But then as she came up, it was a little bit of a different animal, and it should be. I think we too, too many times set ourselves up for failure when we try to make everything exactly the same when in reality it isn't. It's never the same. It's never the same. So, and that's okay. It's still redemptive, it's still beautiful, and it's still, it's very much a God-tailored relationship, a God-tailored journey. Yeah. So that's something to consider because these days it is odd that there be a family with no no other uh, contingencies, you know, like no blend in there, yeah. right? That's actually less and less common. common. The blended, mm. the quote-unquote blended family is more the norm now the norm than now. an un, unblended, but unblended be a, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, say that. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Very cool. So listen, so do you see that? So family is the place of dominion. Now, why do I, why do I say that? How many of you look and you've heard and you can see our, our nation is in peril? Would everyone agree with that? That you look around and go, our nation is in need of some restructuring. Mm -hmm. Where do you think that's going to happen for it to restructure? In the family. So remember what I said before, we live at a time when family is disintegrated. Right, and it's time to rebuild the family. I, I'll tell you this, and I want Selena to share it. We won't go there, but we will over the course probably at some time end up in the book of Nehemiah. I'm going to encourage everyone to read the book of Nehemiah during this series on your own in your own study time because I think it offers for us a pattern that we can look at mm-hmm. to understand why this is important. Why do I say that? The book of Nehemiah and the book of Ezra are, are together. They're twin books, right? Uh, the book of Nehemiah talks about the rebuilding of nations. What does it take to rebuild a nation? And anybody not ever read the book of Nehemiah before? Anybody know, know nothing about Nehemiah? Okay, good. Let me just give you because it, it'll help. So Nehemiah, there's a time. Israel has been taken captive. I forgot by who. Uh, either the Babylonians or the Assyrians, but Israel has been taken captive. Israel has been led away into captivity, mm-hmm. right? And Jerusalem, the city, has fallen into ruin. And the walls were knocked down. The city was unprotected, all this kind of stuff. Well, God raises up one of the kings, like Artaxerxes or some one of those kings, mm-hmm. and he has favor on Israel. and. Darius and begins to say, let's rebuild God's city or God's nation again in Cyrus. 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 Anyway, so there's a whole bunch of this. So Nehemiah is the cupbearer of the king. Does everybody know what a cupbearer was? So a cupbearer, well, a cupbearer, he had the dubious thing. His job was he got to not only, he was kind of like the king's bartender. He kind of mixed the drinks up. But he also had the responsibility to taste them in case they were poisoned. So he would mix he would mix the king's drink, take a sip, and if he didn't die, the king could have the drink, right? And so it was not necessarily, it was a high position, but not necessarily a glamorous position, right? I mean, it was not necessarily one you wanted to be. Extremely trained. 
trusted. It had to be extremely trusted. Right? So the book is about a man whose name is Nehemiah, who is the cupbearer of this king who is returning favor to God's people. In the story, it goes like this, very abbreviated version. Nehemiah hears what has happened to his nation. Nehemiah hears of the disintegration of his nation. And Nehemiah owns it as his own issue. Even though Nehemiah had nothing to do with it, Nehemiah most likely was born in captivity and had never been to his nation. Nehemiah was born in Babylon. Nehemiah becomes the cupbearer. He's never been to Israel. He's never been to Jerusalem, but he's a Jew. Does this make sense? So Nehemiah wasn't there when the problem started. Nehemiah had nothing to do with the sin of Israel. Nehemiah was born in a whole other time. But when he hears your nation sinned, your nation was led into captivity, and your nation is now in ruins, Mm -hmm. Nehemiah owns the problem Mm -hmm. and says we must rebuild. Guys, we are standing there today. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Where we have to stand back and go, okay, I may not have caused all of our issues. I may not have been a part of the problem, but I can look around I me and go. I wasn't even the generation that started this, you know? Like, yeah. But I'm going to own the problem. Amen. Right? And so Nehemiah owns the problem, right? And you can read through it. He comes, he finds favor with the king. The king says, go and rebuild the wall. Now, in symbology, the wall of a city always represented the nations, right? It was the, it was the protection. It was its status. It was its all kinds of stuff, right? Just think Jericho, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Jericho's walls were not just defensive. They were also presented. That's why Jericho was a border town. Mm-hmm. When you came to Jericho and you looked up and you thought, oh, my gosh, this nation is powerful. This nation is awesome. This nation is mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. So, so walls always represented not just the defense of a nation, mm-hmm. but it also represented the nation itself, the status of the nation. Mm-hmm. So the walls are in ruins. Guys, our nation is in ruins. Mm-hmm. But what is the smallest building block? The family. The family. So for us, as we talk about it, the walls of our nation, quote unquote, the family is disintegrated. The walls lay in ruins. Now again, I love my, does this make sense? Me and son, we, we love each other. We love our wife, right? I look around here and all our people, y'all all love your, your families, right? So you are not necessarily, you are not a part of the problem. So I want you to hear me say that. Yeah. Say it out loud. Say, Brad is not saying. Brad is not saying. I am part of the problem. And I'm part of the problem. Okay, so i got to make sure I say that out loud. I am not saying that you are part of the problem. I am going to inspire us to own the problem mm-hmm. and look at how we can rebuild our nation. Yes. But to talk about rebuilding our nation, we rebuilding our nation is not a government thing. Yeah. Rebuilding our nation is a family thing. We have to rebuild our nation. Now, again, to tie it forward, so Nehemiah takes up the thing, right? He goes to Jerusalem, and you can read the story. He begins to rebuild his nation, and there's a neat piece in there that's in chapter 3 and chapter 4. As they're building the wall, Nehemiah empowers families to rebuild the nation. He stands up and he says, the the project is too great. Yeah. 
The project is too great for any one small group of people. So you read through the story how Nehemiah begins to say, okay, every family will own the wall in front of their house. And they will begin to rebuild the wall in front of their family and the wall that's connected to their family. Again, this was all done back because how is how is authority and dominion exercised in the earth god ordained it to be exercised through family Mm -hmm. so when god desires to rebuild nations he will always empower family and family understanding first yeah because families have to rise up and rebuild the wall that's connected to them yes and say, okay, I'm going to own the problem that's in my nation, but I can't own the whole nation. But I can, I can, by God, I can build my wall. Yeah. Right? I can stand and I can rebuild what's in front of me to rebuild. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on and I can defend it. Yes. Because then it says as they begin to rebuild, there's threats that enemies are going to come in. Mm-hmm. So it says that he tells them, fight and stand up and fight for your brother, for your sister, for your wife for your children, for your family. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Guys, I, I, again, I, I'm getting... Listen, mm-hmm. I'll do my part next week. Oh, no, you need to do it today because it's Mother's Day. It's all, I'm, about to, I'm about to land. I need you to read okay. that letter because it okay. applies to... The, well, can I continue next week? Oh, you can please? Okay. Yes, we'll talk about you. Can, yes, you're going to continue. I'm just saying don't get in a hurry. Well, I'm not getting in a hurry. Good. There's so much there to, to land, and now we're moving into an aspect of where I, was, I had to set some foundation. Yeah. But now we have to, now we got to prophesy to this. Yes. Okay, so now we're, we're shifting a bit and we're going to begin to declare some things. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And so we have to, the, the prophecy is in Ephesians chapter 2 where I told you to begin, we never got there. So Ephesians chapter 2. Is this okay? Everybody doing all right? Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I, this is like the second time in my ministry career. Mother's Day. I know that this is supposed to be a flowery message. Said who? I know, <laughs> I know, okay. Said who? Okay, good. Let's make it sure. Okay. Because it's not, not what I'm expecting. I know it's not common. Okay. This is empowering to mothers. Good. Matter. Well, see, what Selena's going to say is for you moms, the reason why I wanted to start today is moms, you're the tip of the spear. Because, because, again, not that it takes away from us as men, but moms, you're there. Mm-hmm. Again, moms are boots on the ground. Moms are the day in, the day out. Moms are with the kids more than us dads are. Again, I'm going to build dads up to I'm not saying dads are exclusion, nor am I telling us dads we need to go sit on the couch and sip Coca-Cola and watch football. Right. right, and leave everything to moms. But moms, because of the nature of your place and your position, moms, well, repeat this phrase that we, we say, but we don't get the power of anymore. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Have you ever heard that phrase before? It's been a long, it's been time, a long time. But the hand that, that rocks the cradle, what does it do? Rules the world. Rules the world. Can, we're going to read something to you. Have you ever wondered, and please hear me, and, and, and why the devil wanted to get mamas out of the house? So he can rule the world. 
so he could rule the world. Does that make sense? We're gonna, I don't want to spill. Can I spill the beans? I'm going to spill some beans. You've got to get to hear in just a few weeks from a, a brand new ministry gift that's in our church family that's coming. Mm-hmm. And I'm so excited about it. So you don't want to miss Sunday, June the 6th. I'm going to leave it right there. But one of our family that is stepping into her place is going to be sharing on that Sunday. Mm-hmm. right? And, it, and it's along these lines. Because remember, there is a power for women in that you are united in the person of the Holy Spirit. Did y'all see that movie, The Shack? Anybody still the Shack movie you read the book? But I know there's a lot of controversy, but the Shack movie has some, <coughs> some neat stuff in it. But they portray the Holy Spirit as a woman. And I don't totally disagree. Right? Because of the nurturing nature of God, right? Because the Holy Spirit is comforter, counselor, helper, standby, guide. guide. That sounds a whole lot like a mom. <laughs> Does it not? Mm-hmm. Right? So I say that to say for us ladies, there's a reason why the devil has done a ton of stuff and tried to not only weaken women in their uh, value, yes. but to also remove women and, and tell them that their true place of significance is somewhere else. It does cause wisdom a woman. Absolutely. I know my wife's smarter than me. Amen. Does that and make the, sense? And the world does the opposite. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, women. I mean, it's the, like, we're the, you know, like, just the way the world says things. It's yeah. just, oh, well, give that to a woman. They're going to ditzy it up, you know. And yet the, the word talks about wisdom in Being that sense. Absolutely. So. Wait a minute. Let me read this. So then I want you to share this. In just a second. So it says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the, what does it say? The household of God. That word household could be better translated, the family of God. So now we understand, again, this parallel. Remember I said at the very beginning of our time together, marriage is the parallel of Jesus and the church, right? Family is the parallel of understanding the relationship with our spiritual kingdom because the kingdom we are a part of is a family-centered kingdom. Another reason why the devil wanted to disintegrate family is we would warp then our concept of kingdom. Because mm-hmm. if, do, if we don't understand family accurately, then we won't get the kingdom. If we don't know how to relate in family accurately, we won't know how to relate in kingdom. So the more I understand about what we're talking about, about family, the more I understand kingdom. The more I understand kingdom, I can pull that into my family. Do you see these parallel images that are there? Does that make sense? Everybody good so far? One more before Slayer. Any other questions before we go? All right. So I want you to read something and go. You just go with your piece. So several years, you know, after we started having kids and we had made the decision for me to stay home and homeschool and all of that, I started having this internal wrestle of 
why when I said I stayed home with the kids, because they were little, you know, um, why did I get the feeling that that wasn't socially acceptable? Like you just constantly got that feeling, right? And, and there was this unspoken pressure of, well, of course, because they're little, right? And at the time we were in Canada, and so they have like a one-year mat leave, which is incredible. Here it's six weeks. And so there, well, of course, if after mat leave, you'll go off and do other things and da-da-da. And it's, it's almost like, of course, because you just, you don't, you don't stay home. And I kept running into this constantly going, what is it? Like something's bugging me. Why is this even there? Where is it coming from? These are just questions that were coming up in me as a young mom and as a young wife. Um, where are these questions coming from? What is the truth? How should I stand up to that? How should I answer that? What is real? What is not real? Like all these questions, you know, and I love the wrestle. Now that I understand that, that wrestle is really good for us because it, it causes us to seek out truth rather than it being just frustrating, <laughs> right? And so I, um, we always believe God for the right people and the right resources to come out our way. And one of the things that I got was this book. And I started reading this, this speech. And I was just like, oh, that's exactly where this is coming from, like the way I feel. And all of a sudden, I read who this speech was for. And it slapped me across the face. I was like, no wonder. It, it, I was incensed. You know, like when you first read something and you first find something out and it's truth is staring you in the face, you're like, no, like just this righteous indignation rose up inside of me. And so as we discuss family, the way God has designed it to work versus the disintegrated mess we're living right now, um, I want us to start highlighting, okay, then what does the, what, where's this stuff coming from? Why is it, and Brad's alluded to it several times and now, so, but what is the real picture? And so I'm just going to start by introducing the subject because it, we're going to go there in the weeks to come together. But this is new. I love doing this. So we decided to do this tag team thing between Mother's Day and Father's Day. And I'm excited. So this is new. Today is our first day to do this. And so um, it's, it's been awesome. It's been awesome. So, um, but this, I'm just going to quote this book. It says, one of the, their, speaking of um, radical feminism and Marxism, it says one of their most successful, okay, in their attempts to annihilate the traditional God-ordained family unit, they have rightly understood that one of their top strategies must be not only to attack and destroy a strong manhood, but to remove women from their rightful sphere. One of their most successful tactics has been to belittle and demean the role of the woman at home, passionately proclaiming that this is a worse than useless position and one to be eschewed at all costs. Those whom they fail to convince to actually leave their homes are made to feel as though they are wasting their lives in mindless drudgery and that they are even a drain on society. When I started reading that, I'm like, that's exactly how I feel people are responding to me when I say I'm home. They're looking down their nose at me, right? And so it says, consider this small sampling of quotes from prominent speeches. So this is, quote, the chief thing is to get women to take part in socially productive labor, to liberate them from domestic slavery, 
to free them from their stupefying and humiliating subjugation to the eternal drudgery of the kitchen and the nursery. This struggle will be a long one, and it demands a radical reconstruction both of social technique and of morale, but it will end in the complete triumph of communism. This was said by Lenin, International Working Women's Day speech, 1920. That's the one that went whap across my face when I read it because I was like, that's where that's coming from. That right there. No, I'm not taking part in that. So all of a sudden, now I've got some girl and I can stand up and go, I know exactly where that's coming from. And it's just so, um, like all these things are, it's just so into everything and infiltrated that when people don't study it or look into it, it's just a feeling. And you just kind of go with the flow. But once you know where it's coming from, and truth really is power, <laughs> it's that application of truth, you, you now know, oh, wait, what? So when I realized who said that and where they said it and when they said it, I was like, here I am, literally 100 years later, living in this whole strategy that they, they have put, on, put in, in process. The other one was in 1982, uh, this is a sociologist in one of their books. It says, the housewife is a nobody and housework is a dead-end job. It might actually have a deteriorating effect on her mind, rendering her incapable of prolonged concentration on any single task. She comes to seem dumb as well as dull. Being a housewife makes women sick. Wow. Really? Really. Right? And then there's another one. Um, it says, okay, this is a parasite. Sucking out the living strength of another organism, the housewife's labor does not even tend toward the creation of anything durable. Woman's work within the home is not directly useful to society, produces nothing. The housewife is subordinate, secondary, parasitic. It is for their common welfare that the situation must be altered by prohibiting marriage as a career for woman. So th this was in 1949. This is the well that many people have drunk from. This kind of thought pattern is where that comes from. Now the thing is, society used to not think this way because it was, um, I believe, because of certain moves of God before 1920 and all of that, that society had been set up a certain way. But guys, society is just uh, a reflection of what actually goes on in the family. That's right. And so regardless of whether, well, we had more Christian principles back then. Yes, I understand. Because certain people, mothers, <laughs> were actually teaching more biblical principles in the home. And it came on the tail end of all those beautiful revivals and awakenings. Right? And so here we are now living in all of this stuff. And it's not that those were the good old days. The fact is every family is a microcosm and we get to now reestablish truth. Yeah. But the other thing too is, and we'll get more into this, but um, as we, as mothers, like Brad was saying, we're like the, the tip of the spear. You know, the word described in, in Titus about wives being the help meet it's not, it's not just I am his helper, but it's also, and I have it right here. That word is, 
Let me just make sure. Well, if I don't find it quickly, I'll just tell you what it is. I had to dog tag my dog ear all my pages. No, it's not right here. So it means more along the lines of guardian, guard, sentinel, right? And so when you think of that, um, that, that whole perspective, as moms, we are the ones that guard what influences come into our home. We guard what influences shape our children's minds. We guard against all of that because in their young years, you know, the book I wrote about parenting that's in Spanish, zero to five, zero to six years old, you know, most of our belief system is established before our kids are even five years old. They had nothing to do with it. We had everything to do with it. And yet here we are in this current society handing our children over for some other person to raise them. They're the ones shaping that person, that our children's psychology, their belief system, everything. All of that is that internal um, compass that helps us make decisions later at the snap of a finger, right? It's all the subconscious beliefs that we already have. They were put in there before we were even five. And so when we see how we are that spearhead, we're the ones as mothers when they're, they're from the time they're born, even before they're born, speaking over our children, speaking to our children, painting the picture of what life is going to look like for them, um, painting the picture of what a godly family looks like, painting a picture constantly with our words of, okay, yes, I'll let that in. Has anybody ever heard the term, oh, when mama bear, you know, you finally get some girl when you become a mom? Because as a teen or as a young wife, you know, okay, sure, whatever. But the moment you cross me because it's one of my kids, all of a sudden, there's this grr that comes, you know. From the time you're pregnant and doctors are trying to tell you you got to do this or that or the other, but it could affect the baby this way and that way and the other, you're like, nope, nobody's going to mess with my baby. Like, it just starts right then. And so you are that guardian of, no, I'm not going to allow so-and-so to speak to my kids that way. I'm not going to allow these influences, these thoughts, these philosophies, these... But that means we have to be grounded in the word and, and see our position as extremely valuable. Yeah. Not just, well, I'm a mama and I've got some mama girl. No, this is God's way of giving you that role to preside. So I love kingdom stuff and dragons and epic journeys and like all that stuff. I love it. I love it. I'm like the adventurer and all that stuff. And so when I think of this guardian person and I think of a kingdom, which we have, right? We are in a kingdom. And I think of, of the queen and the king. I think of the king as having very specific things where he's ruling and he's doing this and he's doing that. But the queen, she decrees constantly what comes into her kingdom and what doesn't come into her kingdom. He's protecting it out there, you know, fighting the wars and fighting the battles and all that stuff and, and, and deciding who we're allies with and all the things. But the queen is over here going, so I decree that in my kingdom, this is what's going to happen. I don't want those people coming in here. I'm here to protect the realm. 
right? And so when we start to see, and I'll dive more into it later with more time, but as we start to see our role from a biblical perspective, I feel that it will help just really empower us to make decisions that will positively impact not only our families, but like Brad said, I'm rebuilding the wall in front of me. Because then that carries on generation after generation after generation. And the way God sees family, he doesn't just see um, father, son. He sees three generations. He sees grandfather, father, son. He's the the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so when you see that, that's the kind of thing that constantly gets passed down. And and how when, when we all take our place... As mothers and as fathers, I was then, then everything starts to work properly. Yeah. Um, but I was talking to Sayla today in the in the car because she said, "Well, did you meet some people? We just met some people, and well, did they have kids?" And I chuckled because in the English language, people don't know how to answer that question. Well, yeah, I have kids, but they're not kids anymore, so I don't have kids. Because I'm an empty nester, so I don't have kids. But it, it's just like this thing, right? And nobody says, well, I have sons and daughters, <laughs> you know, but they are now grown. Nobody says that anymore. But in, our, in Spanish, there's a completely separate word for I have children, but it doesn't mean that they're 18 and younger. It means these are my offspring. Now, are they children? Are they kiddos? You know, so, but it's, it just was neat because she goes, well, that makes total sense because I'll ask people that are older, do you have kids? Well, no, we don't have kids. Oh, wait, my baby is 33 and I do have grandkids. And it's just this, this paradigm shift that it ends there, right? It ends when they left the house. It doesn't. So our Im- impact as, as mothers really goes on generation after generation. And the more, the, the funny thing is, the older I get, the more I remember some of the things, the very few things from my great-grandmother, and a lot of things more about my grandmother, because now I'm remembering when she was my age, I was around. So now I'm remembering how she responded to things, how she viewed things, how, and I'm gleaning still from that. She's long gone, but I'm still gleaning from that. So even though she did not know all this in a kingdom perspective, because my grandmother was saved when she was in her late 50s. She didn't see it in a kingdom perspective. That lady took took the queenship of her realm very seriously. And I remember now now I can start gleaning some things from that. Yeah. Right? So Well, that's awesome. Anyway. No. And so to, to land the plane and, and close up as we talk about this series, what we want to bring to our minds and bring to us to meditate on, right, is... What we're talking about here is how do I rebuild the wall? Mm-hmm. So I'm rebuilding construct of family. Number one, the purpose of family, which we've endeavored to cover a little bit today. Mm-hmm. The purpose of family, it is the beginning and the source of dominion and authority. Mm-hmm. It's the place where God will rebuild nations. And it is the place where then he can send the solitary ones. That's why God wanted families. Mm-hmm. How do we rebuild that? We have to identify the descriptions of roles and responsibilities, right? What are the roles and the responsibilities of husbands, mothers, wives, fathers, sons, daughters, 
grandparents because like Selena said, some of this is we have to paint a bigger picture of family is not me and Selena till they're 18. Mm-hmm. Biblically, family, uh, again, fam, uh, there is no word in the Bible for grandfather. They always say father. They say father. Right? Mm -hmm. The only grandmother that I found is mentioned was by Paul talking about Timothy's grandmother, Mm -hmm. Lois or Eunice or whoever Mm -hmm. she was that passed on faith. But it only speaks of us as fathers and mothers Mm -hmm. perpetually. And as Mm -hmm. Selena said, we have to, I want to encourage us as a church family to expand our thinking to multi generational thinking. That brings us hope, though, guys, because yes. it's not just, well, okay, I have this short window, and then and then it's done. It's not. Whatever we sow and we do and we communicate yeah. and we train and we do all the things now is going to carry yeah. on perpetually. But I want to have a, a thinking that the smallest unit is three generations big. Mm-hmm. It's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It's Eunice, Lois, Timothy, mm-hmm. right? The proverb writer says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children yes. and his children's children. So you have father, children, grandchildren. So you see the repeated pattern mm-hmm. of God in Scripture is always threefold generations of family working together for a common vision mm-hmm. from the kingdom, right? So I want to begin to expand some of that from us. That's right. Whatever, and it was cousins and siblings and all of that. So yeah, it was three generations, but it was the parents and then their kids and their kids down. down. That's so right. it was more like my cousin and my aunt and my uncle on both sides. And so like well, when you said, Hey, the family's coming over, it's literally like a caravan of people. It was. Like, well that's why and I want to expand that to understand that when then now we understand more in the new te- in the New Testament when it says and so God brought salvation to the house of the centurion. Mm-hmm. So many times in our current brain, we think of that as the, the centurion, his <laughs> wife, and their two kids. Yeah. But it, he brought salvation to the house, everything connected to the centurion. So it's a lot bigger. But we're going to land the plane on this because we talk about descriptors, and it is Mother's Day, so we can't not go here. But i got to pose a question. How many of you ladies have ever felt beat up by the Proverbs 31 woman? Anybody ever, anybody ever felt like she's, she's just beating you up, right? And so, because you read this and, and you're like, well, here's the thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read, read the Proverbs 31. And I want you to remember this, that the Bible is principally descriptive more than prescriptive. So the Bible is always in, endeavoring to paint a picture and a description of who you are. Mm-hmm. So for as wives, mothers, even housewives, all the stuff that was there. Oh, and I thank you, Holy Spirit. I lost it just for a second. I just came back. But you were saying that. Remember, when we're talking about rebuilding our nation. Have you, do y'all remember there was a Frenchman? His name was Lafayette, right? And if you watch the Hamilton thing, he shows up in the Hamilton show. But Lafayette was a famous Frenchman who came to help America in this time of revolution. When Lafayette returned to Europe, to France, and he was questioned about whether America would be great, Lafayette's confession was, they will be a great nation. They said, why do you know that? He says, because I have seen their mothers. They are women of strength, beauty, and wisdom. 
and they will raise a generation that will conquer the world. So even from this, that this testimony coming from this Frenchman who comes out and he sees and he's going to describe the greatness of our nation. He describes our mothers. He describes our wives. Right? A lot about what I'm about to read here in Proverbs 31. Does that make sense? And so Proverbs 31. And if you want to go, so I want you to hear this. Not as something, because I heard Penny say it's exhausting. Not as something that you're supposed to do. But as the, the boundaries and the descriptions of what your capability is. I want you to hear it as descriptions. Like we would go and get a job description. These are the things that can come with this position. Not only are there responsibilities in there, it says, but, you know, if I was the CEO of a company, it would list unto me my rights, my responsibilities, the boundaries of my operation, all of that kind of stuff. So I want you to hear it as, here's what God says, women, mothers, here's the description of your capability, what you are able to do. He says, who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She is like a merchant ship, and she brings her food from a far place. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maid servants. I always like to say that. You get you got servants. Isn't that awesome? You got Amen. Household help can come. Amen. She considers a field and buys it. From her profits, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. I mean, Penny, there's your exercise verse right there. Amen. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor and she reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all of her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. There's your shopping verse, ladies. Her husband is known in the gates when she sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She supplies sashes for the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing. She, she shall rejoice in the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household, and she does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband does also. I'm going to stop right there because I'm going to give you husbands your, your, um, your liner, your one-liner that's from the Bible, right, that will help you with your wife. But guys, do you, do you see her ability? So even when Selena was saying her capacity Right, She was entrepreneurial as well as domestic. She was an investor. right? She was a businesswoman. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the bounds that I want to make sure it paints, because when we read this stuff, I don't want us to go where we to just think, okay, well, it's just domestic duties. No. Right? Again, I like, he didn't have any domestic duties. That, I was about to say, so let's go back to the garden real yeah. quick. So Adam and Eve. So Eve was called Adam's helper. Yeah. Right? Does that, would all agree with that biblically? So what did she help that boy do? So let me ask you some questions. Did she wash any clothes? Why, why, why wasn't she washing clothes? 
because they were naked and unashamed, yeah. right? right? Right. Was she cooking any food? Nope. As far as we know, they were raw, vegan, fruititarian people. Yep. They just ate from the garden, right? Was she cleaning any houses? Nope. No, because they lived in a perfect climate, perfect environment. There was no house to clean. Does, does that make sense? Right now, at the time, we know she had not had any children that we know of yet, so there was no yet children to raise. So, if she wasn't washing dishes, cleaning house, uh, washing clothes, cooking food, what was she helping that boy do? Mm-hmm. She was helping him take dominion. dominion. Her primary goal was to help exercise dominion from the home in conjunction with her husband and it mirrors in Pro- that's why the husband of the Proverbs 31 woman he could sit at the gate and rule because his wife was queen of their enterprises so she had, she, that she had the enterprises of the house running so that he could fulfill something that was probably not a paid position mm-hmm. he could govern the nation as a leader of his nation because his wife was operating in conjunction with him. So I don't want you to hear that this means you can't work, you just got to stay home. Housewife no, has that connotation. Does, does that make no, sense? It's, it's none of that. The description right. is, is, no, you can run industries and companies and all this, but you're doing it with mm-hmm. your husband as you guys take dominion and whatever your field is, God has given you to take dominion in. From the beautiful, stable place of home. home. Now, so here it is. So, men, I want you to look at this, see where it is. It says in verse 29. So if you're here, you can look at your wife. Your, your, um, your verse 29 is your one-liner, right? So if you want to look at verse 29, and this is what I say to Selena all the time. Mm-hmm. And so, men, you can look at your wives and you can say, and I encourage you to say, many are the daughters of Zion, mm-hmm. and they have done well, but you have exceeded them all. Mm-hmm. I love that line. Because mm-hmm. there's the Proverb 31 husband, that's his response to his wife. Many are the daughters of Zion, mm-hmm. right? And they have all done well, but you have excelled them all, mm-hmm. right? You have surpassed all the daughters of Zion, mm-hmm. right? Amen. It says, charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her work praise her in the gates. So this lady was also known at abroad as well as home. Does that make sense? I hope you, hope you hear that. Your position, ladies, women, mothers, in your homes and in our nations is vital. How will we, re- how will we rebuild our nation? is we will empower women to again take their place within family mm-hmm. and understand that their, their true significance is the significance of what is connected to home, mm-hmm. what is connected to the household, what is connected to what they're doing in conjunction with their family to exert kingdom dominion in the earth. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Amen. So, Father, we love you so much, Lord. Just... Continue to open this up to our hearts and to our minds. Uh, Lord, continue to teach us and show us what that looks like for each of our households. Um, in Jesus' name. And if you're here, this is there. Uh, again, I just earlier in our, our time talking.